Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Lane Moore is a comedian, writer, actor, and musician. She hosts the show Tinder Live, swiping through dating profiles and baiting potential suitors, all with a panel of funny people and a live audience to guide her. She also fronts the band It Was Romance. And as a writer, Lane Moore has published Jokes in the Onion and offered sex and relationship advice as an editor for Cosmopolitan Magazine, where she won a GLAAD award for expanding the magazine's queer coverage. In 2018, Moore released her first book of personal essays, How to Be Alone, If You Want to and Even If You Don't. I sat down with Moore for a conversation over our respective laptops during the first month of the coronavirus quarantine to talk about her life and career, how we're adapting to a world without traditional comedy stages, and what it's like for many millions of us to suddenly learn how to be alone. So let's get to it! So, Lane. Yeah. Lane Moore, last things first, how are you? Yeah, um, okay. I'm okay. I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm, I'm navigating a changing world, and that is fine. <laughs> well, that's the weird thing is, like, you wrote a book called How to Be Alone. Yes. And you wrote it. You didn't write it as a how-to book, and you didn't write it expecting a pandemic that would force all of us to, or most of us, to learn how to be alone. No, if I had done that, I would have warned everyone. <laughs> um, that'd be pretty sinister. Um, no, I, I have no idea. And it's, it's interesting how, how timely it ends up being now, you know, a year or so later. So yeah, bizarre, really bizarre. Right. So I don't know. I, mean, I have a feeling you probably feel the same way I do during this particular moment where like you're alone, I'm alone. But then you see videos of these people who are quarantining in groups or in families. Yeah. And I have such mixed feelings about it. There's, yeah. and I have them at the same time. There's uh-huh. the FOMO that I'm not doing that. But then also I'm like, but they would get on my nerves or I might get them sick. Totally. Or- <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people are having to quarantine themselves from their families. So it's not... I don't, what I tell myself is I don't think that it's this like party that we're not invited to. I think it's like every, it's just a different kind of fear and a different kind of agitation is what I've heard from people. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's any, I don't think there's, there's anybody in that sense who's like doing great in this. I don't think there's a, I don't know that there's a better one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I find the only thing I can do is laugh at the madness. So if I'm laughing at any of your answers, it's yeah. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you know, that's people laughing at anything I say right now is, is the fuel. <laughs> right. It's an emotional response. And, you yeah. know, I've wanted to talk to you for a while because yeah. um, I've just wanted to be able to talk to you for a while. Um, all of the things that you're like, like you're very multi-talented. You have uh, the writing career, which you, you know, you got into The Onion, which is a very competitive comedy 
hellscape of its own. <laughs> then you, you, you leverage that into writing for magazines. And then you eventually wrote the book. You have a band. It was romance. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Tinder live shows and the comedy career. When you were growing up and you were, you know, all of those are outlets for, for releasing like emotional trauma or releasing these emotions that you have bottled up, bottled up inside and being able to share them with others. Which of those outlets was the first to click with you when you were a teenager or a young adult? Um, I mean, they all clicked when I was a child, really. Like, I have a photo of me doing impressions when I was, like, two years old. Um, So it's like I pretty much came out into the world um, making me... And, you know, my parents had told me that when I was really little, again, same two, three years old, like, everywhere we would go, I would just sing. And, like, if we were waiting at the airport, I would just be singing songs and, like, performing. And, like, so I've I've just had that... um, literally since I was born, I I don't have a memory of me not writing something, writing jokes, writing songs, doing impressions. I genuinely don't. So it's interesting when I hear people say that they started in their teens or after, I'm like, what? You didn't just like come out and like, this is all you wanted to do. Cause it was just like my sole um, mission in life. And I remember when I got, you know, when I got to high school and I was like, I was so sure of myself and I, in in terms of, you know, uh, what I wanted to do with my life and all my friends were like, we have no idea. And I was like, wait, everyone wasn't born with this like really defined purpose. I mean, no idea how they would achieve it, but like this really defined, I really thought that was something that everybody had when they were born. And I've realized now that I'm pretty lucky to have had that kind of clarity at a really young age. And there wasn't, you know, um, there wasn't one thing that like came first and I branched out into the others. I think, um, I just, I love music and I love comedy and I love writing and I love books and I love TV and I wanted to do it all. There was never any part of me that was like this. And I guess this too, like, no, it was across the board. Um, these, I want to do all of these things. Why would I not? So what was the first comedy club or opportunity that you sought out? Um, I start, I did a, um, uh, I did a, <laughs> I actually started doing stand up um, because I met some jerks. Um, <laughs> uh, I was, I was commenting on, there was a stand up comedian who I was at, I was at this show and there was a stand up comedian on stage and I ran a couple of stand up comics and I really didn't like any of them. And I mentioned it to some people who were sitting next to me. They were like, oh, who did you like? And I was like, I don't really like any of these comics. This isn't really, I, that, this, I don't know. Like, she was kind of mean. And this was just kind of, this just isn't, he was kind of a dick. And I just, this isn't my thing. And these two guys were like, well, have you ever done stand-up? And I was like, no, but I know I could do better than this. And like, I've been studying stand-up my whole life. And the truth was, I had been though, because I started doing stand-up. When I was, I don't know, like five or six or something, um, in my Sunday school classes, they would give me 10 minutes at the top of each class to tell jokes. So in a way, I had been doing stand-up my whole life. And I spent all my time just like voraciously watching stand-up specials and, um, you know, just so entranced by this art form. And, you know, I didn't put it together that like that must be my route necessarily because I kind of thought well I want to be a comedic actor I want to be like Lucille Ball like that's what I thought it didn't occur to me I always liken my like comedy career my stand-up career um like all of your friends knew you were gay as a kid and you didn't know until you were like 20 um because 
Because for me, when I look back, I'm like, all you did was like watch these stand-up specials and these sketch specials and these, you know, that's all you wanted to do. And friends of mine would be like, you should do stand-up. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do stand-up. No, that's not me. That's not what I am. And it was like, yes, it is. I don't know why I had this block of like, that's not how the path's going to go. And um, so then I met these jerks and they thought that I wasn't allowed to have an opinion because I'd never done stand-up, which doesn't make any sense. That's absolutely wrong. And they were like, I was like, have you? And they're like, yeah. And they'd done like one open mic once, like shut the fuck up. Um, but so I went and I did, um, I did this, like, uh, this open mic competition thing and I won and I was just like, suck my dick. Like I, (laughs) I won this thing. Like who cares? And, um, uh, you know, it didn't really, it, it, and it's, I'm glad that I did it to spite them. (laughs) Um, but it also just made me realize like, oh, this is something. And and I had started doing improv and stuff like that. and, And that was. I think I liked the, I think it was also, I think there was also a little bit of like, I saw so few women in stand up, And so I don't think it immediately clicked for me um, that that was something I could do. I think I probably subconsciously thought the odds were bad for me and improv. I don't know why I thought that that was going to be, you know, something that um, opened some things up for me. And then, you know, when I would do uh, when we would do like the Armando type thing, um, and I would be the Armando and I would just be on stage, uh, telling, just telling stories, basically doing stand up in a way. And I was like, Oh, I love this. And this feels very natural to me. And, um, where did you, know, you now improv? I do a mix of all those things. Hmm? Where did you study improv? Um, so I was actually at improv Olympic. Um, yeah. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is, who is there with you? Who's still in comedy? Oh my God, not, not anyone I know. I don't really, re- I don't really remember, but it wasn't like, you know, a lot of times you hear like a class and it's like, yeah, I was in a class of like these 20 famous people. I don't have that story. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that story. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, and where was this, where was this open mic competition that you won? That was also in LA. Yeah. Okay. What did, what was the prize for that? Oh, I think it was literally nothing. I think, oh. <laughs> I don't remember the prize being, I don't remember winning anything. I think it was Oh, it wasn't crazy. like you got spots at the improv or the No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I think it was like, I think I did some, like, I know I did some spots like improv in the comedy store, but I don't know that they were, I have no recollection of there being like any sort of quid quote, quid oh. pro quo. I think it was just like, congrats. But and not, not for me. I didn't care. I, I was just trying to, prove something it was almost like I did it on a bet so whatever <laughs> so did that catapult you into doing more because I know eventually didn't you get into the comedy store before you left LA um yeah correct yeah so um how did that how did you get in what was your journey it was like right before I left LA I was in LA for like a minute and um I didn't give it long enough you know I didn't, I didn't give it long enough to really make some progress there because just a whole bunch of tough stuff happened. And I was just like, I gotta, I don't want to be here. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was basically just, and I remember it kind of sucked because, um, the night of the show, um, the booker was like, where have you been? And I was like crying at home in my room waiting to get a chance like this. And he was like, we would have you here all the time. And I was like, great. I'm moving to New York. And like, a day. So thank you so much opportunity for coming right when I can't use like I've had so much like just this is an ideal timing uh, 
for a, for a lot of things. And it was like, oh man. And it was that thing of like, should I just cancel and stay? And I probably should have, I don't know, whatever. But yeah, it's fine. Well, you know, you talk about uh, wondering if the odds are stacked against you as a woman. And I feel like that can be such a self-defeating, self-fulfilling prophecy where if you don't see the women on stage, then you don't think it's something you can do. And then you don't become one of those women who other women can see on stage and realize. Totally. So I don't know if it's, yeah, I, I don't like, I don't like the, I don't like the use of the word self-fulfilling in this case only right. because then I think it like implies that like, it's like a woman's job to like leap over that giant chasm to like make it happen. But I see what you're saying. Like, I, but I don't think it's like, you know, I'm just like obsessed with words and I, I don't like, I don't like the idea that, like, I don't, bl- I guess I'm saying, like, I don't blame women for feeling like I don't want to fight that battle. Mm-hmm. You know, if there is a battle, I don't want to have to fight that. I don't blame women for not doing that. So it's like, you know, um, uh, because there were so many, you know, there were so many times when, like, I wanted to give up. Like, when I was doing improv and it was, like, so many of, you know, every time I would come out and I would try to be, like, a different kind of character or I would try to be a man or whatever and, the guys on the team would just make you a wife or a girlfriend. I, I was so frustrated because I was, I was really in love with improv and I was really fucking good. And I didn't like how often, and also that's not even the rules of improv. The rules of improv are yes. And if I come out as a man, I'm a fucking man and you're going to have to deal with it. Like, what are you doing? Also, why can't you do a scene with me as a man? Why do you need all women on your team? And of course, you know, hashtag not all improvisers, but so many women have these stories of like, Oh, I just wanted to do improv and I became everybody's silent wife. Right. (laughs) Because, because those guys have a lack of imagination or creativity. Yeah. And they just, and it's, it's so lazy to be like, Oh, I'm in a scene with a woman. She's my girlfriend now. It's like, really? You can't, what if we were two little boys on an adventure? And like, why can't, who, isn't the point of this to be able to stretch your imagination? Isn't the point of this to be able to be anybody? Like, you really think the funniest scene we could come up with is, like, we're on a date? <laughs> just ask me out then. I'm going to say no, but just if, if that's all you really want in this. Like, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's also, like, the idea that women are people. Mm. Right. Uh, <laughs> and not just wives or girlfriends or moms. How, so. how much of that, uh, I'm skipping forward in time, but how much of that plays into the idea that you get to have the control with Tinder Live? Totally. Um, screwing around with men's thoughts and beliefs, their belief system and how the courtship process should work. Well, I love one of the things that I'm really am and am excited about with Tinder Live is that it's an improv show where I don't have to be anybody's anything. I can walk out on that stage and whatever I say goes like I don't walk out on the stage with a premise and a guy can swap me down or anybody can swap me down and go no actually we're gonna go this way no like you know it was a way for me to create my own space I mean it was tinder live as a lot of things to me but it was a way for me to show that I'm a really capable improviser and that my brain moves really quickly um without having to fit this kind of narrow narrative that a lot of women are are forced into um a lot of the time in, in improv troops. Um, and then, you know, there's definitely, I always wonder like if people are listening and they're not familiar with Tinder live, should I explain what Tinder live is? <laughs> you can explain it now. Sure. 
Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. Um, uh, it's not that ubiquitous yet. One day, one day. Uh, people will be like, yeah, Tinder Live, of course. Of course we all know. Well, um, back, back in the day, well, let me explain. Back in the day, people used to attend uh, comedy shows. Oh, my God. Live no. in person as a, as a community. Too soon, too there soon. Be, there used to be live shows. Uh, you, would get, you would put on clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure they didn't happen can. in your bedroom. They didn't happen in your bedroom then. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was weeks ago. Um, and yet decades. Uh, so Tinder Live um, is, a, is a comedy show where I go on my Tinder on a big projector screen. Um, and I have, I usually have a panel with me of like fellow comedians, um, musicians, actors, whoever. And we're weighing in on the profiles in real time. And then the audience votes on who I um, swipe on, and then I chat with them live. And the thing I always like to tell people who aren't familiar with the show is that it's super kind. We only swipe on the weirdest profiles we can find or, like, people who think they'd be fun to talk to. Um, Because the biggest thing with, like, people who haven't seen it, people who've seen it know, but, like, the people who haven't seen it, I think they think it's going to be this, like, oh, this guy looks amazing. Let's, like, ruin his night. And it's like, that. I wouldn't do that. That's not funny. I, there's a level better than that. And that's, that's where we operate. But, um, it's just really silly. And, and yeah, like you said, um, I'm definitely playing, I'm definitely playing with the expectations of women. I had noticed, um, I had a, I had a theory when I started online dating. Uh, I noticed that men, like I was going on and I was being myself and like having like a sense of humor and like a heart and expectations and men seemed not that into it. Like men were like, Oh, okay. Okay. And I had a theory that a lot of guys would like it better if I was just like kind of an idiot who was like super drunk and horny. So I play a character on Tinder live. Who's kind of an idiot and super drunk and horny and men love her, (laughs) love her. I'm always, and you know, I'm always, I'm always, I mean, I'm less and less shocked as time goes by, but, um, how few of them will like tap out. Like, I can say anything, and I do say anything, but, like, I, I can tell a guy that, like, I'm trapped in the woods right now. Mm, it's so, oh, like, I'm horny but confused. And guys will be like, oh, well, let me see if I can, like, send a car for you. And I'm like, what? Why? But, again, that sweet spot of, like, kind of an idiot. Yeah. Horny. Drunk. <laughs> do you, do you, do you, do you even use Tinder as yourself anymore, or? Or has the experience um, spoiled that for you? Yeah. You know, so I online dated, you know, for so long. And I just, I don't think for me, I think for me, it's, it's, it's too hard. I'm too, it just takes up so much time. You have to have so much patience. And I don't have that kind of patience. I just don't care. And um, <laughs> it's like, I kind of, I think I just kind of want to meet somebody in the world because I just, for me, it's like, I, I guess I've just learned from online dating. And again, this is, this is just my experience. I have so many friends who've met their partners. Uh, they have kids because they met them on Tinder. Like there's so many people who have incredible online dating experiences, truly so many. Um, but for me, you know, I just got tired of like talking to somebody and thinking they were going to be really great. And then we met in person and they were kind of shitty or they did something weird or like, um, or we would talk, we wouldn't really meet up or like we would talk for a while and they'd say something awful. And like, 
you know, and that's not indicative. That's not something that only happens on apps. It's just that the energy, like, I think for me, it just felt like a game that wasn't paying dividends where it was like, I'm spending all this time. I'm swiping through like hundreds and hundreds, especially in New York, hundreds and hundreds of people to find even one that I'm remotely interested in. And all I know is photos. Okay. And then we match. And then I'm lucky if we even talk at all. And then I'm even luckier if they're remotely cool. And then I'm even luckier if we meet in person and they look like their photos, they're just as cool as they seem, whatever. And then, then they can still fucking ghost you. They can still fucking leave. They can still have three different people they're seeing. Like it just, <laughs> it just felt like for all the work to get to the, it's like a video game to get to these different levels. Right. And then once you get to the top level, there's like the new bottom that pops up and you're like, no, this isn't fun to play anymore. Like I just, that's how, that's how I've experienced it personally. <laughs> I can identify. Yeah. It's just, you know, some people are lucky. It, it's, I truly believe all luck on dating apps and off dating apps is all love is luck. It's luck and timing, and that's just the way it is. Some people get lucky on Tinder because they got lucky. Some people get lucky offline because they got lucky. I just, you know, and I just, I think it was driving me nuts. Like, I just was seeing some behaviors in myself that I was like, I don't like this. Just that kind of like, oh, my soulmate's in here. I've got to find them. And you're just like swiping, (laughs) swiping, swiping. And you're like, it's making you mad. And, you know, again, some people have... Some people, I talk to people and they're like, you just got to do it on the toilet and you just swipe through five a day and like have that discipline. I'm like, no, I don't have that discipline. (laughs) I want them now. I want to find them now. I want to order my soulmate like a pizza or I'm too tired. Well, you know, with comedians, especially beginning comedians, I find they have that kind of similar attitude with their career. It's like they go to open mics and they want the late night spot within the first year or they want to record an hour within their first couple of years. And it's like, what do you, what do you think is happening? I don't know. But because it does happen sometimes to some people, like to some people it happens that, and I don't know why. I mean, usually there's, there's something we don't know about. <laughs> um, that's, that's why there's like, I don't know, something that someone they know or whatever. I don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I go back and I give, I go back and forth on how I feel about that because I've definitely never had that um, attitude in my in my career because um, you know I've definitely have been frustrated that things weren't happening faster. But like I'm the type of person who like if I'm frustrated that things aren't happening faster, it's like the average person would have gotten frustrated like way before me. Like I, I think I actually do have more patience than I um, than I think I do. But I think that one thing that served me really well, maybe I'm not sure, but. Um, I think mostly it has is that this is what I'm going to do for my whole life. I'm going with my dying breath. I I just know it in my bones. I'm going to be writing songs. I'm going to be writing jokes. I'm going to be writing books. I'm going to be writing screenplays and TV shows. Like this has been who I am from birth till, and I'm sure it'll continue. So like, I don't have this idea of like, if it doesn't happen now, then screw it. Like there's no screw it for me. This is who I am. So whatever I mean it's, it's gonna I'm just gonna keep doing good work and like well and of course for every thought that you might have of people who have the hour special or the sitcom there's other people who are looking at you going well how, how do how do you get a, a live show and a tour how do you get how did you get a book published how did you get in the onion how did you get those things I can't get those things 
I think about that when I get really low, when I start, I've been comparing myself so much lately and I'm somebody who does that a lot and I don't like that I do it, but I do. And I try to remind myself of that exact thing where I'm like, wait, 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 wait. there are probably people who compare themselves to you, even though that makes every bone in my body go, what, why? But <laughs> because you know your struggle, you know what you're going through, you know what, you know, the goals you have. But one thing I've learned is that like, everybody's comparing themselves to somebody everybody, you know, the people that I'm comparing myself to, they're not good enough for them either, you know, and they're comparing themselves to someone else up here. And this person up there is comparing themselves to this other person up here. Like, it's just the nature of, I think, the industry. And and once I say that, it kind of brings me back down. And then you just try to like, be grateful for the stuff that you do have and realize, you know, because it's just, it's the only thing that's going to serve you. Sometimes I'm good at taking this advice. Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> But, you know, I think just reminding yourself of like, hey, there's always something you have that somebody wishes that they have. I really, you know, I believe I know it's true. So let me ask you this then. Mm -hmm. When you decided to move from L.A. to New York, where were you at professionally? Um, I was. What'd you say? When you made that leap from L.A. to New York, where were you at professionally? In terms of what? Where were you at in your writing career? Where were you at in your music career? Where were you at comedy-wise? Um, I just had, I just had dreams. I mean, I, I, like I said, it was like right before I left, I had gotten that kind of traction of like, oh, you could play here. And I was like, well, I'm leaving. So nothing. Um, and then, uh, you know, that was it. I just, I really, I've been, you know, I've been doing stand up and, and improv and all these things, but I had no idea how it was going to come together. I was still too afraid to like show people my music. I would like show people, you know, one-on-one kind of like, Oh, Hey, I do this. And, um, even when I got, even when I got to, um, even when I got to New York, I still felt like, Oh, I'm a comedian. They have to see me as a comedian. I had this, still had this idea in my head that like, if anybody knew that I did multiple disciplines, they wouldn't take me seriously or they wouldn't believe that I, I cared enough about this. And so, um, it was, uh, it took a while for me to be able to like, I remember when, um, my band had started playing shows and two of the people that I invited first, um, were, uh, were a couple comedians that I did shows with. And, um, I remember them saying to me, like, you really do this. Like you real this, your band's amazing. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just because again, it's like, I know the expectations of multiple disciplinary people is that like one of your things probably really sucks. And <laughs> like, if you're, if you're a comedian who has a band, your band probably blows, which is so weird though, because like Donald Glover, Reggie Watts, Carrie Brownstein, Fred Armisen, fucking share like we <laughs> there's so many people who are across these disciplines and right you know so it was I definitely that was I think one of the hardest things about wanting to do so many things is that I struggled for a long time of like which one do I pick first which one will open a door first and <laughs> and um yeah um comedy writing was the first one that eventually kind of, or like paid me something kind of, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and that was kind of, I kind of hate that we do that in this society where it's like, you kind of, unless you like come from a lot of money, 
you have to like go for where the money is. Like, even if one of those things was, was a bigger priority to me, if I couldn't, if I couldn't make any money at it, like we do kind of force people to, to go where that is. And and we, we judge that on like, well, if you're not making money at it, then like, you know, I don't know. Or you're forced to to work a day job. Right. and And then that limits your ability to focus on the art. Totally. Yeah. And I had, I truly had no idea. And I'm, I'm kind of, you know, um, I don't know. I just, I really didn't know what the path was because all the, I spent my childhood reading about people's paths and stuff. And, and there were all these, it always involved, they knew someone famous. It was always just like, yeah, my uncle was Tom Hanks. So like, I kind of got a leg up through him. I mean, I guess. And, and, but I still started at the bottom and it's like, bitch, no, you didn't. Um, but you know, there was always some just like crazy thing that happened to them. And, and, yeah, I don't know. So it was really like, I didn't know how anything was, was done. And like, you know, uh, looking at it now, I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. You do this. And then this happens. But I just had no idea. So I just kind of, I definitely like operated for a long time on like, I don't know, like almost wanting to be discovered, like almost wanting, just wanting somebody to be like, you're really funny here. I'm going to tell you what to do. Like, I just really wanted somebody to tell me what the answer was or share some sort of, you know, path. But I've realized, like, there's some people have a set path that, like, makes sense and does that. And other people, you're just kind of making it up. I I hate getting asked, like, (laughs) what was your path? I'm like, I don't know. I just kept trying. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have a, like, I did this and I knew to do this, you know? But you did, in a way, follow a path, which which eventually led you to be doing monthly Tinder live shows, which yeah. have gotten a lot of press. And then, you know, but for the sake of a pandemic, we're right. sending you on the road this spring and summer. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully still, like, you know, all that is in the process of rescheduling and I'm trying to not have just constant panic attacks about that because I think that's the, I think that's one of the things that I've been grieving lately is it's like, you know, uh, everybody's kind of grieving something during this. And I think one of the things that a decent amount of artists are grieving is like, sometimes it's just like the loss of momentum or like the loss of timing of things of like, I'd worked so hard to like do this like 50 city tour and it's like, it'll still happen. But like when and how, and like, will the routing be different now? Like, it's just, it's not like, like people are kind of acting like you can just click and drag a tour (laughs) and like you can't. And so, you know, or even things like things that I've been working on that I was going to release on this date and like, you know, um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's, I'm really proud of all the things that I've done, but it just, you know, I think it's, I think it's tough for a lot of, I know I'm not the only artist like this by, by miles. I think there's so many artists who felt like this was going to be the year for people who had been like waiting for their moment. And I think it was going to be <laughs> for a lot of people. And now you're just like, Oh, well, I'll have a moment at another time. <laughs> like it just When I don't know. And you know, it's, I'm trying to kind of deal with that and just, and just try not to dwell too much on, I don't know. I had a conversation with a, 
with a booker the other day and I was just like, this all sucks. And he was like, well, you know, we're in our houses, we have heat. And like, and I was like, you're not wrong, sir. Like you're not, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at it as, you know, it's like kind of what you said where it's like, well, it really sucks that I did all this work and I, and there's so many things that are uncertain and I was so looking forward to this personally, like my heart was looking forward to this, my spirit, like these are the things in life that make me, you know, happy to keep going. But, um, at the same time, it's like, you're in a really kind of lucky position. If you like have something to lose that you really love, you know, like it could be worse. You could have nothing you love and and, and nothing that's, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to find positive things. to Well, I mean, just, just in the most basic essence, you have an apartment and you have a dog. Yep. You could be trying to ride this out without a home or or sleeping in a car. I know. Hashtag. Remember? <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Never forget. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you've been, like you, you've been through worse experiences and, you know, this too shall pass. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, whether it's, especially maybe for comedians, but, but for anyone, really, you want what you want and you want it now. And the idea that you don't have control over the timing of these things is is just reinforced so much at this moment. Especially when you've been patient too, though, because it's like, <laughs> I think it's, you know, when you're just like, all right, yeah, I can wait another year for that to happen. Yeah, I'll wait for blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, it's going to be another six months. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just like, especially when, you know, um, I always thought everybody approached the arts this way and they do and they don't. But, um, for me, it's like, it's like the reason I'm alive. It's the re- it's the thing that's kept me going, like creating comedy and, and music and writing and all this stuff is like, it's, it's my main source of joy. And, um, it's really weird when like the biggest tool in your toolbox is taken away. And I'm not even talking like, Oh man, I really want to play Milwaukee. Like, no, not even that. (laughs) The summers are nice there. The summers are nice in Milwaukee. They are nice there. But you know, (laughs) but even just spiritually of like, fuck, this is how I like cope with my life. This is how I, well, my dog gets it. Um, she's like, she's really sad. Um, (laughs) But this is like, yeah, this is how I get through life. This is my source of joy. And I think that that's something that's weird to be on pause. Like, I, I, I kind of hated those memes that are like, joy is not canceled. I'm like, that's a little canceled. Be <laughs> <laughs> real. It's a little. Joy is being able to watch Tiger King with the world. I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> Where there's like animal abuse. And I'm like, ugh, during this time. During, there's, everything. there's everything in Tiger King. Everything. That's my part, and I'm just like, I don't know that I can handle that, but every um, single time, you know, some, there's something like that that, like, everyone's watching. I'm like, am I supposed to be watching it so that I can make jokes about it? I'm tired. But people can also watch you because you've been doing a nightly show. Yeah, yes. I have. Called, um, called How to Be Alone. Yes, on Twitch. Um, yeah, man, I, I, started, um, I started doing that pretty much as soon as I was like, oh, I'm going to be inside for, I don't even know how long. 
like, I just hated the idea of, um, I hated the idea of, of not being able to do this thing that like, no matter how rough things are going in my life, like doing Tinder live in New York every single month, um, or on the road, whatever, it's like, it's like, it's like this beacon of light that I'm like, just make it till the 15th. Cause you're going to have Tinder live and you know, that's going to be a good night. And I'm like, okay, okay, I can make it. <laughs> and knowing that like, that's not going to be there for a little bit. I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just too sad. And, uh, so then I thought, well, I wrote this book called how to be alone. Everybody's alone right now <laughs> pretty much. And, um, what could I do? How could I combine my like love of performing, my love of bringing people together and like my knowledge of what it's like to be isolated and like, you know, and so I thought, well, I could do kind of a hybrid of everything I do. And so how to be alone became, uh, what we do on the show is like, we do kind of like check-ins where it's like, I'll kind of talk about how I'm doing that day and I'm not always feeling super positive. And some days I log on and I'm like, I can't stop eating. I'm can't stop having panic attacks. I'm <laughs> feeling really low. And it's like the first time that I logged on and, and did that, because there's that part of you, at least there's that part of me as a performer where you feel like you got to keep the family together. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you, you feel like you feel like you got to be the strong one and you got to like, just keep the jokes flowing and like never yeah. let them see you cry. Right. But that's also not really what, that's also not really my thing. So, um, so I figured, so then I, you know, just was really honest about where I was at. And so many people were like, yes, me too. And I, cause I didn't want to drag anybody else down by saying that, but it didn't do that. It just gave other people, I think sometimes there can be that kind of like toxic positivity when everyone's in pain and the person's just like, well, you know what? Glass half full. I have time for Scrabble. It's like, shut up. No. <laughs> We're not there yet. (laughs) So I try to have the balance of like, let's have fun, even though we're in hell, which is where my art always comes from anyway. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we do mini Tinder live segments. Uh, We play the only 80s, but we all play the only board game I have in my house, which is this 1980s board game called Heartthrob. Have you ever played Heartthrob? I have not played Heartthrob. Oh my God, it's a joy. It's like the 80s board game version of Tinder live, kind of. Okay. Um, it's like you pick out three little teen hunks and everybody in the game has to guess who the other person would go out with. And then you get little facts about them where you like learn a little bit more about them. And so it's like, it might be like, he writes X-rated notes to all the girls in class. And you're like, I thought he was hot. I don't anymore. And it's like, (laughs) so then everybody tries to guess like, Hmm, what would be a deal breaker for you? Who would you go for? And so we play that on the live show and then people are guessing that. But then sometimes my answer is, they don't always go where you think they'll go. Like there's a guy the other night who looked like a murderer and I was like, and people thought I wasn't going to choose him, <laughs> but I chose him because I wanted to help stop the murders. Huh. I wanted to go on a date with him and find out who he was killing and why and take the information and bring it to the government, you know? And so it's such a weird, it's such a weird game, but uh, it's role play. A little, a little bit. I don't know. I guess it's like, um, but yeah, it's like a, like an eighties dating game that was supposed to be for like 13 year old girls, but, um, it's just really fun and silly. And it's a lot like Tinder live because you see someone's profile photo and you get the information about them. And you're like, do you think if I'm going to swipe right or left? It's very similar actually. Well, you know, 
seeing you on my computer and listening to you talk, it, it just, it reminds me that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we don't, we don't need to know what the path is. We just have to keep going and, and we end up on the path, whether we knew it all along or not. I, I love that I made you think that. (laughs) Um, I think it's probably true. I mean, I just got back from the grocery store and there was like a guy six feet behind me on his phone. And I heard him saying like, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. And I was like, oh, that's so cheesy and accurate. Like, (laughs) it's, it's true though. I mean, uh, I'm doing this right now. And like some days uh, the weight of this overwhelms me and I'm like, I will not, the lady will not be performing this evening. Um, she will be eating a lot um, or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, because it's hard doing shows every single night. Like it's, it's even if it is for the internet, it's still, it's still a show. And it's, it's like, it's a lot. So, but it's honestly given me, it's given me a sense of community. Like there are people who show up every night and, um, engage in this and it like gives me a reason to like put on clothes and like you know put in my contacts and then put on makeup and stuff and like um and to perform for for people and and do what I love and I think it's really cool that um you know people are interested in that and and also like the reach is even bigger like there are some people who watch the how to be alone live show and like they're in Argentina like, I probably wasn't like, coming to Argentina anytime soon. <laughs> no. So, you know, I mean, not because I don't want to, but just because those shows are hard to do. It's like, oh, I'll spend $3,000. This gig pays 400 Okay, this was worth it. <laughs> yeah, who books it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so there's something kind of cool about that where it's like, you know, again, if we're trying to be glass half full about this, like, I could potentially reach people who, like, maybe couldn't have come see me in in any of the cities that I was touring or couldn't, you know, don't live in New York. And so there's kind of the ability for that, but it's also like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the exchange. It's not exactly the same. Cause one of the weirdest things about the streaming shows is I can't hear laughter. Oh, it's right. such a trip, dude. I can't because I'm used to that immediate feedback of like, I made a joke. Did they like it? And it's not cause it's not, Stand up, you know, you usually you're saying the th- same th- same jokes every night. With improvised stuff, you know, which How to Be Alone totally is, uh, you've never said these jokes before in your life. So you, you don't even have, like with stand up, you have the like, if you go into a room and they don't laugh, you're like, well, 95% of audiences laugh at that. I don't know what happened tonight. But you don't have that with improv. So you get so used to like, I say a joke, they laugh. Yay, good job, me. I'm funny tonight. But <laughs> with the streaming shows, if nobody says anything, you're like, Ugh. like it feels, it, feels, it feels awful. And so I've started encouraging people who are in the chat. I've just been like, I know it probably seems silly, but if you feel, if you laugh at something and you feel like typing ha ha, I can't tell you how much it means to me because it is possible to go. If nobody says anything they thought that you said was funny. All right. In the chat, if you don't see that at all. You can absolutely leave that chat and be like, was any of that funny? Like, I know I thought it was funny to anybody like anything I just did. And they're always, you know, 
they're interacting and they're like, thank you so much. This, I look forward to the show every night. Like there's that, but as a comedian, it's so tied to, I say something in person with my laugh, with my voice, you laugh and I hear it. It's so tied to this sensory thing that we have that like streaming doesn't allow that. So I've been very grateful for when people are like, I just laughed so hard. I scared my dog. I'm like, thank you for saying, typing that. <laughs> I couldn't have heard it. It's just, that's the one weirdest right. thing about streaming. Yeah. Right. This is the one time where it's actually preferential to have you type LMAO. Totally. Because I need to know that you're LMAOing. <laughs> well, laughing my ass off thing, whatever you get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at least we have these, you know, if this had happened 30 years ago, what would everybody do? I don't know. So. No, then they truly would have to be alone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, thank, no, thank you. No. Says so, the woman who wrote the book teaching people how to do it. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's, oh, that'd be awful. That's, that's what I take away from this is that the gratitude of, okay, I might have to be alone. So many of us might have to be alone. But we don't have to get through this alone. No, I mean, and that's, you know, it's not totally, it's not totally equal. It's not as equal as people say. I've been kind of irritated when people are like, we're all going through the exact same thing. I'm like, mm, 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 because <laughs> it's affecting everybody in different ways. This isn't blanket affecting everybody in the exact same way. It's not. And that would be just silly to say. And I'm seeing people say it and it's silly. Um, but I think that I've definitely found solace in, I've always found solace in in being, you know, if I'm not seeing somebody describe my experience, then thinking, well, maybe that's a sign that I'm supposed to share my experience. So um, throughout this process, you know, when I'm on the live show or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and I just go out on a limb and I'm like, here's where I'm at with this. Here's what's coming up for me. Even though nobody else has raised their hand and said that maybe, um, because I did, then the hands go up. Then the hands of like, oh, I'm feeling that so much. And I think that uh, live performance and the internet has been a really great place for me to throw something out there and be like, ah, is anybody's eating really messed up right now? And like any eating issues you had, they're like way bigger. And like, you see all these people being like, oh, I thought that was just me. Yes. I thought I was fine. And now I'm not fine. Or like, or whatever it is, or like, I don't know, I was having some like weird, like body dysmorphia stuff pop up. And so many people were like, yes, I've been really bad lately. And it's, but that's how you come together. Like sometimes it's seeing your experience reflected in others, but sometimes it's you sharing your experience and being a mirror for other people. And then it's, it's this like, I mean, honestly, like that's what how to be alone. The book was where it was me putting out my experience and being like, I've never really heard anybody talk about it like this. Here's what my life has felt like. Here's what my life currently feels like. I'm probably the only one. I'm going to put this on the table. You could take it or leave it. And then so many people were like, I have always felt this way and no one said it. And so they're less alone because I spoke up and I'm less alone because they told me. So it's, I think that that's how we're going to get through this. (laughs) Maybe. Yes, Yes, this is exactly how we're going to get through this. So so Lane, thank you. She holds her forehead. (laughs) So Lane, thank you for showing up on Zoom and sharing with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. 
The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, local by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.